17th of April, 2021. And in this practice of training our minds, we do it for the sake of gaining internal energy. Because we do need to prepare ourselves. And if our minds don't have energy, but we reach an occasion where there's a lot of physical pain, either physical pain or mental pain, then the mind just won't have what it needs, the resources it needs to fight against this. Because it doesn't have mindfulness and it doesn't have samadhi. So when we reach that time when we're very old and sickness arises, then there can be a great amount of physical pain. And we may need morphine to reduce that, but this has the result of making the mind very confused. And so the end of our lives can be difficult like this. They can be very torturous, all this pain. And we get uh, cancer to the fourth stage, and it spreads all around the body. And the cells, they don't know what's going on. They just change according to this tumor. And in the end, they're not able to survive. And what that means is that we die. There's no breath left. And when all the breath goes, then everything goes with it. And we don't um, know when this is going to happen for us. But when we're born into this world, it's just this one mind that is born. But then we go and believe that all the things here are me, they're mine, that I have a father, I have a mother. I have brothers and sisters, and there is this thing called me as well. And then we have our occupations, we have the society that we live in, in this world. We fail to see that before we were in this world, we were in a different society. <clears throat> Maybe we're in a celestial society, living up in heaven, living as a deva or a brahma. Perhaps we were a human, or perhaps we were in a state lower than a human. But in the end, all of these existences are just temporary. Even though we think that we have all these things, that we really own all these things, that I am these things, um, that's not actually true in that way, even though that's how our minds understand it. In terms of Dhamma, all of this is just temporary. This me and mine, it's not real. These things, they're unstable. They don't stay for long, they don't endure, they will break apart. So what we should do is establish a foundation for our hearts, establish principles and train ourselves. We build up a lot of goodness, a lot of merit, be very generous. And so we have goodness that we can recollect, we can recollect this generosity. We're virtuous and we can recollect our sila. We help out, help out ourselves, we help out our families, we lend a hand to society, and we build up goodness in this way, train ourselves like this. And why is that? It's to prepare ourselves for the time when this body breaks apart. If during that time the mind is in a gloomy or a sad state, then the birth that we gain after that will not be good. 
And when we reach that period, this last stage of our life, then who can help us? We have to be a refuge to ourselves. So we have to train ourselves very well and practice to train ourselves for the end, for death. And we do this every single day. Train ourselves um, for death every day. Before sleeping, we sit meditation for half an hour or chant for half an hour. Always be training our minds, um, meditating, bring them to a bright state before we sleep. Because we don't know when we're going to die. And we may die tonight. And if we train ourselves, then we'll have this goodness that we can recollect. If we do a lot of chanting, we chant every day, then it's very easy for us to recollect the good things that we've done. Right now we have a strong body, so we shouldn't be heedless. We don't know how long this is going to last for. Perhaps in um, 30 years, we don't know whether we'll reach that time, whether we'll reach the age of 70, or whether we'll reach the age of 80. It's just not sure. There are many people who die at the age of 75. Some people make it to 80, some people 90, but it's just not sure. We don't know when the sickness is going to arise. And when, for some people, um, when they get ill and then they die, and they get separated from everything, even though those people may have had all of the things here on earth that they desired. They had a lot of wealth and such things. But everyone has to be separated from these things. We don't live long in this world. They don't stay with us for long. So we need to train our minds in preparation for this. A good way of doing this is to recollect the virtues of the Buddha. And so joy can arise in the heart. And we have this good opportunity now to recollect the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Even though we haven't been born in time to meet the physical body of the Buddha, but still we have this deep appreciation and gratitude for his teachings, for his Dhamma. And so we can recollect that, or recollect his great disciples, such as Venerable Ananda. Perhaps we have a lot of faith in Venerable Ananda, and when we think about him, then a lot of joy comes into our heart. And we can think about how sincere he was in taking care of the Buddha and attending to the Buddha, and his great memory that he put to such good use through uh, memorizing all of the suttas, the Buddha's teachings. And when we think about him in this way, then our hearts can fill up with joy. Or perhaps we may have faith in Venerable Sariputta or Venerable Mahamogalana or some of the other great disciples. And so we can think about them, recollect them. Or like Venerable Mahakasapa, can think about how uh, frugal he was, how content he was with just very little things, and uh, how ascetic his life was as well. When we think about this, then we can get a lot of joy in our hearts that he wasn't attached to things in this world. He wasn't attached to any family lineage. And he established this Tudanga, tradition, this tradition of forest asceticism, which has been passed down to Lumpur Man and Lumpur Cha. Um, this 
meditation lineage, we received that from Venerable Mahakasapa. So when we think about this, then a lot of joy can come up in the heart, thinking about his goodness, thinking about his virtuous qualities. And so we should do this a lot. Like when we chant, what we're doing is recollecting the virtues of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Noble Sangha. And there's a lot of merit in doing this. Like how we can think when we listen to uh, the teachings of the Buddha that there were those disciples of his who listened to these teachings firsthand. They were right there. And we can enamodana, we can express um, the joy that we find in that goodness and then listening directly to these teachings of the Buddha. So when we train ourselves in this way very frequently, recollecting goodness like this, then a great fullness can come into the heart, which leads on to inner peace, which leads on to samadhi. And this act of chanting the virtues of the Buddha 108 times brings great benefit to it. You can go through this five times or ten times. And this is what the great teachers have told us, that chanting the recollections of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, this brings us huge amounts of benefit, something that brings us peace, something we should do very frequently. And when we do this, then... When we reach a stage in our lives where we receive a lot of physical pain, then that agonizing pain can reduce. Or if it's just a little bit of pain that we're feeling, then it can go away completely. But when we reach the time when the body breaks apart, we must see that this is something that's just natural, that it has to be this way. And then we bring our hearts to recollect and think about this chanting that it's stuck there within our memory. We may be lying on the hospital bed just by ourselves and no one can help us. And, but still we can recollect this chanting. Even though our physical ears may not be working, we may not hear anything around us. But these chants, they can echo in our hearts. And that's because we've been chanting them every single day. So even though our sense faculties may be closed off, they may not be operating, our minds are open, and we're able to hear this chanting there within our hearts. And this provides a refuge for us, because the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha is our refuge. And one day we do need to be like this, for sure. There's no escape for us. So recollecting the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha brings great benefit to us. The Buddha taught that Paying respect to Venerable Mahakasapa just one time brings great amounts of benefit. He compared it or said that even if we were born into this world as an extremely rich person, as a millionaire or a billionaire, and we were born as this a million times, paying respect to Mahakasapa just one time would bring us more benefit than all those lives as a very rich person. So therefore, for us, we should really be firm and intent on this training and to using these methods which bring about inner peace. And we should look and see that sometimes samadhi is quite difficult, and it really is difficult at times. But why is that? It's because this collectiveness of mind or firm establishment of mind that's collected and established 
in other things. It's established in scatteredness. It's established in lust and liking. It's established in aversion and sleepiness and doubt. So we do need to fight against these things because these mental objects are things that have been there for a long time. They're habits of our hearts. So we need to train ourselves, and we can do it. It is possible for us to really put these minds firmly into their meditation objects, into just one single object, Buddha, Dhammo, Sangha. Or we can recollect anatta, or emptiness, and tell ourselves everything is empty, empty, empty. Or we can... Uh, meditate in lines with, in line with anatta and recite anatta, anatta, and do this until the mind gathers together into peace. And perhaps a mental image may arise that allows us to see the nature of the Dhamma. We may, for instance, see an image of us riding a bicycle, and this bicycle breaks apart. And so that's seeing something external as being anatta. But then we can bring this back within ourselves and see how, just like that bicycle, this body is also made up of different things, of different parts. And these all separate out, and we see the not-self there within it. And in doing this, we see the Dhamma. And wisdom fills up here at this point, that sila, samadhi, and panya, they all come together. And we understand clearly that these things that we once took to be me and mine, they're not actually me and mine. And our faith becomes firm through seeing into this truth. We see that all lives must end in death, and that the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion are burning us constantly. And by perceiving this, we won't be heedless. And we see how, also rather, uh, for myself, I hear of news of people who are old, who are in pain, and who are dying or have died. And I hear this every single day. There are people who get in contact with, with me and tell me about relatives or other people who are going through these things. And this is something that I listen to, I hear every single day. So we see that these things are not sure. Our life is not sure. And before, maybe 40 years ago, if we had known that at the age of 70 we'd get cancer, we would die, then the thought would come up that I need to do more than what I'm doing now. I really do need to train myself more than this. Because we see that we do need to die, and through recollecting death, then we can bring up heedfulness. And we can think to ourselves that we can't escape from this. And these things are not sure. Some people think that they may live for a very long life, but this too is not sure. So we should take up this not sure as our teacher, to contemplate this, to see that these things, they're not certain, they're not constant. We meditate um, in this way, and doing this every single day, because the reason that we were born into this life is to create goodness, is to create merit. And so chanting is a great form of merit. And it's something that we do need uh, to do, especially as monks, because the lay people, they come and offer us the requisites. So we really need to throw ourselves into this practice to do it to the best of our abilities. 
And so something that's very important for monks and for novices to really put up a fight, to uh, give rise to samadhi. It may be difficult, it may be easy, but it's not above our abilities. And so it's not all that difficult. And if it was difficult, then there would be no one who would see the Dhamma. So it's not um, all that tough. But we do need to train ourselves. We don't speak a lot. We don't chat a lot. We chant a tipiso 108 times and do this many times. And this can become a measure for how much effort, how much energy we have. Is it enough? And perhaps we can chant through 10 rounds every single day. And uh, we need to space this out throughout the day as well. So if we just try to do it at one, during just one time in one go, then we'll get very tired. So we have to see that in the morning we do a few rounds, then in the, uh, during midday a few rounds, afternoon a few rounds, in the evening a few rounds, and then we can get through it in this way. Because when, oh sorry, when we're doing this, um, then we won't be talking a lot, we won't be chatting a lot. So whenever we work, then we do need to be chanting as well. Just like how the people who work in the kitchen here, it's a lot of merit um, for them doing their work that they do. But if as they work in the kitchen and they chat and chat away, then a lot of that merit gets destroyed. So when they're working, they should be silent as they're working. And they get two kinds of merit here. They get the merit of the generosity of the sacrifice they're doing through their work and also the merit of meditation. So we should think that the time that we have is of great value. And we shouldn't let that time just get eaten away. We shouldn't waste it at all. Because if we waste our time, then it just gets consumed. But for those who have wisdom, then they won't do this. They won't be heedless. Always be meditating, always be chanting, always be cultivating samadhi, be training their minds. Whenever they're walking to or fro, then always reciting buddho, dhammo, sangha, not speaking a lot, not chatting a lot. Because what we're after is samadhi. And if we're after samadhi, then we need to be focused and intent on samadhi and practice in this way, do this continuously. It's quite tough in the beginning. It can be quite a lot of pain, suffering. But as we do it, then it does get easier. We shouldn't stress ourselves out either. We shouldn't be too tight. We shouldn't be too lax. We shouldn't talk too much. We shouldn't eat too much or too little. We shouldn't sleep too much nor too little. And as we sleep little, as we eat little, then the body becomes light and it becomes appropriate um, for meditation. So stressing ourselves out through the practice, bringing up a lot of suffering, this is not right. Torturing ourselves too much isn't right. But also taking things too easy, that isn't right either. So the path of taking things too easy is uh, karma, sukhali, kana yoga. And the path of self-torture is atta, kilana, tama, yoga. But we need the middle way. So we eat, sleep, and speak little, and awaken ourselves through effort. 
sleep just the right amount. And for lay people, you need to work throughout the day. So you do need energy there uh, from that sleep. And whenever you're talking, then do so with mindfulness. Always be training, because this opportunity we have now is very, very good. And death is steadily coming closer towards us with every passing day. So we shouldn't think that perhaps I'll die in two years' time or three years' time, because that's just not sure. And we don't know. Maybe we won't live for that long. So we should think instead that we have just this year left, just this month left, just this week, just this one day. We should think that perhaps I will die tonight. Perhaps this will be the only time that I have left in this world. So may all of you really be sincere in this. Put in your efforts and do this constantly. <laughs> 